Amelia is like, OMG, you would not believe what Sherman's men were doing. And Grace is like, no way. And Sarah is like, I am so sure our sovereign independence is guaranteed by our allegiance. The ideals of the founding fathers transmitted through a patriarchal power structure. We'll talk more about adolescent girls in the Confederacy when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. On Sound Authors, you can expect the unexpected. Kent Gustafson, Ph.D., author, publisher, professional musician, and now talk radio show host, will not only entertain you, but with new books and guest authors from around the world, will interview talented, independent musicians showcasing their fresh new music. Plan to join Dr. Kent and friends each Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on World Talk Radio Studio A. Sound Authors, where authors sound off. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from East Carolina University, and talking today with Victoria Ott, author of Confederate Daughters, Coming of Age in the Civil War. It's a book on a subject that has not been touched on. There have been a, a few books here and there, one on children in the Civil War, I think James Martin wrote. Uh, there's been a little bit of exploring of young people during the war outside the few uh, oft-retold drummer boy uh, stories. But now for the first time we have a serious look at uh, an age group that has been neglected, uh, young women in the Confederacy during the Civil War. And in our first segment, I asked uh, a question that, that might reasonably come to mind. Why should we even uh, care about this group? And uh, heard a number of answers. Uh, Victoria, one thing you, you said about uh, the people you studied, the subject of your work, was that as you read their letters and journals uh, and diaries, it, it struck you how similar they were to girls of the same age today. I wonder if you could talk uh, more about that. Uh, how were they similar? Well, uh, certainly there's uh, always the concern about um, looks, <laughs> uh, friendships, which, uh, which young women are, are friends with each other. If they have a falling out, they discuss that in their diaries and seem very um, upset by that. Um, they were very concerned with the latest fashion. Aside from that, they also uh, were very concerned about uh, young men. <laughs> and well, before we get into that yes. dangerous topic, I, I, I'm struck by that because I'm, you know, at going, I'm at a game. I'm telling my left wing or left mid to pass more frequently to the forward ahead of her because she keeps passing to the other forward who's not open, but that's her friend. Right. And the other one's not quite so much her friend right now. They've had a falling out over something. Right. And I'm thinking there's no crying in baseball, as Tom Hanks <laughs> said. Uh, there's, there's no relationship should not determine what you do. But then, uh, to keep us back on topic, I think on a larger scale of the petty personal feuds of, of the generals of the Civil War right. and how often uh, uh, McClellan says, I don't care a pinch of owl dung for, for John Pope. He's not going to rescue a Union army because he doesn't like its commander. Um, <laughs> They're behaving like uh, uh, like the adolescent girls of of today or 
or of your era. So, so maybe it's not so far far fetched that we we talk about. <laughs> That's right. Not so not so uh, confined to. A gender group. No, nor an age group. Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, what I also thought was funny when I was um, doing this, now this was part of my graduate research. It started off as, as a seminar paper in Steve Ash's Civil War class, and, and then it just grew from there. And when I was doing that seminar paper, I found some uh, letters from a young woman. I didn't use her in the, the final draft, um, but uh, she was really enamored with the uh, uh, the soldiers and also the uh, leaders of the of the confederacy um, we i didn't know if this was true or not and that's why i didn't put it in the book i couldn't confirm it that uh that she had uh pictures of or a a, a tin type of of um a, um, a soldier that looked like Sherman, and also um, that she had actually, not Sherman, excuse me, Stonewall Jackson. <laughs> oh, <that would laughs> um, you'll have to excuse the, the fevers getting to me a little bit. But um, the uh, also, uh, I did include this one about the young woman who said she got a lock of traveler's hair. And it kind of reminded me of young women today putting up posters of their favorite rock stars, uh, you know, Backstreet Boys. Well, I guess they don't listen to them anymore. But um, that they sort of idealize and look up to these leaders, um, and then are, have little crushes on them. You know, they, they they serve as ideal ideal male figures. Yes, very much so. And and you mentioned boys. You saw mentioned that they wrote about this to one another. Oh yes, um, this is one of the reasons I wanted to say um, that w- what I found in this in this study was that young women came to identify with the Confederate cause in their own way because they wanted to protect a, a world that they, that in which they had been raised, a world that, of privilege, uh, a world of, of where they might one day become a slave mistress, where they um, would maintain their class identity. And to them, the, the threat to slavery uh, under, to them was, uh, a larger threat to their economic and their class identity and um, and so marriage was such a very important part of that of of that cultural script that young women were given as they were coming of age and so the war threatened to disrupt all of that but young men were a source of continuity with the past they could maintain their courtships throughout the war I mean they had to change the way that they courted um, they had to rely a lot on correspondences, uh, but they never stopped. Contrary to what some historians have found, they never stopped pursuing those romantic relationships uh, because they were they were so important to them. They were also a source of freedom because they knew once they got married, that was all going to end. That that period of beldam, as some people call it, where they attend lots of social events and engage in lots of flirtations and relationships with young men, all very appropriate, you know, no impropriety at all. <laughs> well, in, in one of your chapters, you begin by describing uh, girls preparing for a, uh, a wedding or a party, and, and they're all, uh, the, the war is the farthest thing from their minds at this right. point. They're, they're just ready for the social uh, event of the day. Right. And it, it reminded me very much of the opening <laughs> of Gone with the Wind. Oh, yes. Uh, and much of what you you write about here in terms of the 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 social life of the elite southern uh the, the, the girls belong to elite southern families 
made me think that the, the movie Gone with the Wind that is often uh, sort of mocked for its, its idealization of the Old South right. uh, maybe was really onto something, at least in, in those early scenes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a romanticization of the Old South that is, is in the same vein as that, that lost cause um, uh, script uh, that we saw emerging after the war. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think absolutely. When I, I've watched that movie with my mother every year, and she was from the North. <laughs> uh, she loved uh, watching the movie, especially Clark Gable. But um, I, you know, I was interested, you know, did Scarlet really exist? And uh, I think in many ways she did. Uh, there were a lot of young women who went through a transition because of the war. They became uh, tougher. Uh, they learned to take on more responsibilities in the home. Uh, they learned to deal with some serious emotional uh, experiences, seeing dead bodies in their in their community and, and witnessing battles in their backyard and, and the invasion, as they call it, of the or occupation of the Union troops scared them. Um, so the young women went through a transition, too. They became, even though they're trying to preserve essentially a patriarchal um, social structure uh, in which they would continue their privileged life, they actually began to um, act uh, independently from it. And so that's, you know, I saw, I remember the scene where Scarlett uses all of her, um, her cunning and, and resourceful uh, resources around her, and she uh, begins that uh, mill. Do you remember that scene? Well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, uses the convict labor to, to uh, staff the, the place. But um, I thought, you know, there were a lot of women who, after the war, found themselves with their new husbands financially strapped, and they they became teachers, and some of them began to write uh, uh, for pay. Um, and so that's something that they were doing during the war. They were taking on jobs. As you point out, the, the irony, though, is they're not doing it with a sense of, at last, I can do this on my own. Rather, if I do this, I can help restore our finances and recreate the world in which I'm the dependent. Right. As I argue in the book, it doesn't do a lot to change their worldview. I mean, certainly their actions say differently, but in in their in in their writing, you can see that they are really um, they want things to go back to normal, you know. And that's something that really drew me into the story of adolescence and even children is that during times of depression and war, um, young children, depending on their stage of development, are really affected by those things. And um, I wanted to see how that translated in the lives of these young women in the Civil War. Um, so certainly they were, they were very, very affected by it, but they, they maintained this idea that they could get things back to the way they were after the war was over. They, they want to recreate the past, like, right. like Jay Gatsby. Mm -hmm. The um, you mentioned your mother was from the North. Uh, what about you? Where are you from, and what what triggered your interest in Civil War topics? Well, um, I was I'm from uh, Florence, Alabama. As I said, my father's a retired historian. He taught at the University of North Alabama for thir thirty something years, um, and so I remember lots of summer 
vacations, stopping at every historical site along the way to grandmother's house or the beach. And, um, and I had some, uh, I had opportunities to hear my parents and my grandparents talk about um, members of, of our family, you know, my great-great-grandfather and, and uncles and who actually participated in the Civil War. They showed me letters and newspapers and, and things like that. Um, so that would kind of interests me. What really piqued my interest is um, one of the reasons why I went into graduate school is I wanted to study uh, American women, and especially women of the South. And um, I went into the Civil War seminar with Steve Ash, who um, just inspired me to look at young women uh, to adolescents. And I told him about this diary that I remember seeing when I was young in the archives at UNA, uh, North Alabama. And it was of this young woman named Sally Independence Foster, who shows up in the book. And she wrote this diary starting in 1862, when she was 13. And she kept it all the way up to 1888. And so when I got a hold of a copy, a uh, transcript of the diary, I got to see this young woman blossoming, so to speak, and she was uh, going through a transition through the war and then after the war, and I actually got to see her come of age and become a, an adult and a mother, and it just fascinated me. I thought, you know, there's got to be other young women out there who were shaped by the experiences of the war. And Sally Independence Foster was also an intriguing character because, like many young women, um, she uh, had lots of love interests, and she tried to keep them from her parents. And she knew her mother was going to read her diary, so she, which was very common, parents would would read their daughter's diary to see how their writing was, if their handwriting was was nice. Um, so when she would talk about a particular crush, she would write it in mirror writing. Uh, thinking that her mother would never catch on to what she was doing. So that that was a fascinating little uh, part of her diary, which made it even more intriguing. Now, that suggests something. Uh, I asked you earlier about what, uh, in what ways these girls are similar to, to girls today, and the, the impression that their parents are idiots, apparently, is... Uh, is is one that that the mother couldn't figure out how to read mirror writing. Right. Uh, that, that's 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 quite amusing. Uh, right. I know if I walk up behind my daughters when uh, when they're IMing their friends. Uh, right. Uh, suddenly the, they cover the screen, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I or they use abbreviations. Uh, right. I acronyms. don't. I don't get the abbreviations, but uh, my my nieces were doing the same thing. <laughs> they, they do, and after a while, you start to. Uh, you start to figure them out. Uh, they must invent new ones on a daily basis. But uh, Right. That's one thing I worry about. I was talking to a friend the other day about how, you know, what's going to happen to our resources as historians, um, you know, when I'm long gone from this profession and probably this, this earth, what will happen to the archives if people are using email and text messaging and rather than writing these things down, um, because I rely so much on the personal letters, um, and I'm guilty of it too. I email all the time, and I, you know, I think. I, 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 I agree with that. I've, I've wondered that. I, it's one reason I chose the history of the 19th century is you've got a manageable amount of sources. You've got written material in which people wrote, uh, as your sources did, their deepest feelings on paper. Right. So we can access them. If you go to ancient Greece, you're you're trying to 
torture out of one or two lines carved in stone the meaning of an entire culture. Right. And if you go to the 20th century, you've just got reams of material, and then then things dry up and pe- things become electronic. And right. Uh, you know, the administration just deletes all its emails, and suddenly the whole archive has disappeared. Right. And you'll never know the wrongdoing or right doing uh, that was done. Right. So I yeah I agree. I wonder that, and I just. just I don't worry about it. I just say I'm glad I've got the 19th century. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's one of the things that drew me to uh, the 19th century as well is the the practice of writing of correspondences. My my grandmother, who passed away a few years ago at 98, always wrote letters. She rarely called me, and so I kept up letter writing with her and uh, saved all of those letters. And I just think this is a really valuable source. I'm, I feel bad that we're going to we're going to lose that practice, but it is unfortunate. Fortunately, these shows are archived, and listeners okay. can, can uh, listen to any show uh, anytime. Download it and listen as long as the internet is not destroyed by solar flares or something. We're going to take a break from Civil War Talk Radio. We'll be back in just a moment with our guest Victoria Ott, talking about Confederate daughters coming of age in the Civil War. We'll be back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. 